Believe it or not, the book of Psalms actually provides for us some of the greatest details regarding the coming Messiah. And those Psalms are based on previous promises that God had given to the patriarchs of Israel. So what are these Psalms? What are the promises? And what do they have to do with Jesus? Stick around to find out. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. I am William Dyer, and this is Dyer Conversations. Okay, before we get started, let me just remind you that this podcast is actually part of a playlist I'm doing about the major prophecies in the Old Testament regarding Jesus being the Messiah. So if you want to check out those earlier episodes, I'll link the playlist on the screen right now and also put it in the description below. Today we're getting into Psalm 89. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you the context of the psalm. We're going to break the psalm down, and then you'll also see, if you're watching this on YouTube, you're going to see some of these um, corollary verses pop up on the screen, things that I just kind of referenced, but we don't have time to actually uh, go and read themselves, because we're going to do a lot of reading, actually, of Psalm 89 today. So Psalm chapter 89, what is the context? Well, look here in verse 1. It talks about this guy named Ethan the Ezraite who wrote this psalm. So what we kind of know right off the bat is that this guy plays a major role in the worship of Solomon's temple. And there's an issue going on right now in the Davidic kingdom. This psalm seems to be composed during a time when the kingdom of David is in some sort of turmoil. Now, we don't really know when that time is. It could be uh, during the time of Rehoboam, if you're familiar with that story. It could be in, through you know some other time, one of David's descendants, when the kingdom is not in good shape. That doesn't really matter. What does matter is when we look at the psalm and we see how the psalmist turns to God and places his hope that God's going to restore the Davidic kingdom because of the promises that God made to David. So let's kind of look at this psalm uh, here and break it down a little bit. If you want to take some notes, here's the verses and how you bracket out the psalm. Verses 1 through 4 is the psalmist actually um, talking about God's mercies and his faithfulness and his reliability in keeping the promises. So let let me read to you these four verses real quick. He says, I will sing of the loving kindness of the Lord forever. To all generations, I will make known your faithfulness with my mouth. For I I have said, loving kindness will be built up forever. In the heavens, you will establish your faithfulness. I have made a covenant with my chosen. I have sworn to David, my servant. I will establish your seed forever and build up the throne to all generations. So in these first couple verses of the psalm, what the writer is doing is he's going, God, look, you're great. You're awesome. And, you know, you've made these promises to David that you were going to build up his throne. Um, and this kind of really sets the context and the theme for the rest of the psalm as he takes a downward turn and talks about how bad the kingdom is at his at the point in time in which he's referencing. But he starts off from, you know, kind of saying, look, I know, God, that you made these great promises to build up David's kingdom. Now, the second part of this psalm is verses 5 through 18. We're not going to take time to read all those verses. But if you read them, essentially what you're going to find is just a kind of an elongated hymn, a hymn of praise, where uh, the psalmist talks about, like verse 5, the heavens will praise your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness also in the assembly of the holy ones. Verse 11, the heavens are yours, the earth is yours, the world and all it contains, you have founded them. So he's kind of just like exalting God, like you are the great one. You're awesome. You're worthy to be praised. You're worthy to be worshipped. So we start off on a really high note. 
And then we get into verses 19 through 37, and that's honestly the bulk of this psalm, and it's it's called the Messianic section. Because in these verses, if you read them, we'll read most of them, what he's going to do is he's going to kind of reference back to what God originally um, said to David and what he how he originally dealt with David. But then we pull principles and promises from that to apply it to the psalmist in his current situation in looking at the disarray of the Davidic kingdom during his life. So if you start off in verse 19, he says this, Once you spoke in a vision to your godly ones, I have given help to one who is mighty. I've exalted one chosen from the people. I found David, my servant, with my holy oil. I have anointed him. So again, starts off this section. He goes, you chose David. You were the one who found him. This is a reference back to when um, the kingdom was being taken away from Saul and God told Samuel, look, go to the house of Jesse. And he says, don't look at the way, uh, don't look at men the way, you know, other men look at them. Don't look at the outward appearance. Look at the, the heart. And so he chose David and he anointed him as being the one whom God was going to give this kingdom of Israel to. Now, verses 21 through 23, he goes on and says, about David, with whom my hand will be established. My arm also will strengthen him. The enemy will not deceive him, nor the son of wickedness afflict him. But I shall crush his adversaries before him and strike those who hate him. So here we have the psalmist thinking back to the early days of David. And if you go back and read those stories about, you know, think about David and Goliath, right? Like that was, that's like the quintessential example right off the bat that David defeated the enemies of God. He defeated these foreign nations in and around Israel, those who were trying to attack Israel, so much to the point where that's some of the conflict that happened between David and Saul is that you had people praising going, you know, Saul kills thousands, but David tens of thousands. Like, look at this guy. He's he's the one who's really the true warrior here for God's people, and that started off some jealousy between uh, Saul towards David. But this is what the psalmist is referring back to this time when David was first being exalted as this great warrior and this hero of the nation of Israel. But what it also does is it looks to the day of the psalmist, and it looks at how God is going to be the one to give assistance to them, just like he gave it to David when he was first establishing him. Just like God was with David to defeat uh, the enemies of Israel, So God's going to be with the kingdom now because it's still David's line. It's still the promise that was given to David is passed on to his descendants. And so the psalmist is saying, look, just like you did that with David, you're going to do that now. Even though we look like we're being defeated, you're going to be the one who's going to give us the victory. Look at verse 24 through 26. He says, my faithfulness, my loving kindness will be with him. And in my name, his horn will be exalted. I shall also set his hand on the sea and his right hand on the rivers. He will cry to me, you are my father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. All these first person pronouns in this section about my faithfulness and my covenant and I will do this, this is God talking. And, And God's saying that, you know, the way he treated David, building him up and exalting him. It talks about his, David's horn being exalted. That's David's power being exalted. David winning the victory over the enemies, 
God's saying, I did that. And that's what the psalmist is referring back to here is he's saying, look, you did this for David. You're going to do it for us, but we get some added details here. And one of the things that we get is that he says in verse 25, I shall also set his hand, talking about David's kingdom, on the sea and his right hand on the rivers. So what's interesting is we almost see like an enlargement of the kingdom that God is is kind of saying, look, I'm going to expand the kingdom of Israel. It's not just going to be restricted to this one spot. But then we also learn a second detail, and he says here in verse 26 that David will cry to me, you are my father, my God, the rock of my salvation. So the descendants of, of David's line, that kingdom that comes from David, they will be able to have a relationship with God where they can cry out to him. You're my God. You're my father. You are the rock of my salvation. This should give them hope, great hope, that as they're, you know, the kingdom is in disarray and things are not looking good for them, they can think back, look what God did for David and look how he exalted him and defeated all the enemies. And God's even promising us that he's going to continue to expand upon those promises. Verse 27 through 29, God continues on, I also shall make him my firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. My loving kindness I will keep for him forever, and my covenant shall be confirmed to him. So I will establish his descendants forever in his throne as the days of heaven. A couple key points here. The word firstborn. In the Bible, the idea of being the firstborn son carries with it a weight of responsibility, a weight of getting the double inheritance, you know, the one who's going to take over for the father when the father passes on. Now, the the eldest son, the firstborn one, is going to be the one who now is kind of like the patriarch of the family. And so, you know, here we have uh, this conversation where God's saying, I'm going to make Davis' descendants my firstborn ones. These are going to have this special relationship with me where the kingdom is going to continue to be passed down to them. And he goes on here uh, to talk about his loving kindness. Now, that's so important because the phrase loving kindness has to do with covenant faithfulness. And God is saying that he's going to be faithful to the covenant that he made. I mean, we know God cannot lie. God's not going to break his covenant. And when we look back to the time of Saul, we see that God took the loving kindness from Saul. He never promised Saul that he would give him the kingdom forever. And so when Saul continued to sin, God took the covenant from him, took that blessing from him. He took the loving kindness from him, and then he gave it to David. But when he gave it to David, he said, I promise to give this to you forever. It's an everlasting covenant throughout your generations and your descendants. And here again, we see this this re-up. The descendants of David, these, these kings, it's not looking good for them right now, but don't forget, God has promised this kingdom will endure forever. Verses 30 through 34, if his sons forsake my law and do not walk in my judgments, if they violate my statues and do not keep my commandments, then I will punish their transgression with a rod and their iniquity with stripes, but I will not break off my loving kindness from him, nor deal falsely in my faithfulness. My covenant I will not violate, nor will I alter the utterance of my lips. Now, we've been touching on this, but this is very emphatic, and it's it's pretty important, too, because what God is saying is he's going, look, even though you have some descendants of David who are the kings who are going to be ruling over Israel, some of them are not going to do good. They're going to be evil, and I will rebuke them, and I will judge them, and all that sort of other stuff, but I will never, ever take the kingdom from the line of David. 
it, I will I will always establish it through the line of David. And what we went over in the last uh, podcast, when we went over 2 Samuel 7, we showed how when you get to the time of Jesus, this is why Matthew lists out the genealogy to say Jesus is the son of David, the son of Abraham. God continued this covenant promise of the kingdom going through David's descendants until it gets to Jesus, and he's the one who sits on the throne forever. This is this is the cool messianic promises that we see flowing from 2 Samuel 7 through the Psalms and on to Jesus. Now we continue we finish out here in verses 35 through 37. God says, once I have sworn my holiness, I will not lie to David. His ascendant shall endure forever in his throne as the sun before me. It shall be established forever like the moon and the witness in the sky is faithful. We get this final oath from God saying, you see the sun in the sky? You see the moon up there? You know how they're there like literally every day? That's how it's going to be with my covenant to David's ascendants. It's going to be there every day. It's never going to be removed. But here's the dilemma. Here's where you start to go, okay, but you look at verses 38 through 45, and the psalmist just takes this downward turn, like look at the the current state of the kingdom. So let's read a couple of these verses. Verse 38, but you have cast off and rejected. You have been full of wrath against your anointed. You have spurned the covenant of your servant. You have profaned his crown in the dust. You have broken down all his walls. You have brought his strongholds to ruin. All who pass along the way plunder him. He has become a reproach to his neighbors. You have exalted the right hand of his adversaries. You have made all his enemies rejoice. You have turned back the edge. You have also turned back the edge of his sword and have not made him stand in battle. You have made his splendor to cease and cast his throne to the ground. You have shortened the days of his youth. You have covered him with shame. I mean, this is a terrible picture of the Davidic kingdom. I mean, his enemies are defeating him. Um, you know, these guys are dying when they're young. The walls of the city are broken down. I mean, they are just being utterly crushed right now. And that's what makes the previous section that we just read so important and so emphatic is that even when it looks at its worst and things are terrible, you can still remember the promises of God. I will never take my covenant away from David. He will have his descendants sit on the throne forever. And when we get to the New Testament, as we continue on in this podcast series, we will see that Jesus, the Messiah figure, fulfills these covenant promises to where we can look to God and say, yes, God, you are the one who keeps your promises. You keep your faithfulness and your loving kindness. And one of David's descendants is sitting on the throne forever to reign as king, and that is Jesus. And so here at the end of the psalm, verses 46 through 51, you can read that on your own. What you have is the psalmist asking God, okay, God, these are your promises. This is the current dilemma that we're in. Intervene. Intervene for us and help restore your promises. Little did he know that one day Jesus would be born and we would see those promises fulfilled. I hope you enjoyed that video. Don't forget to check out the earlier episodes in this playlist. Subscribe to my channel so you don't miss future episodes to learn more about Christianity and how to defend the Christian faith. And until next time, continue to seek the truth.